Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very thankful to be with each other because of what you've done in each of us. We'd ask that we would live more and more by that love, but we also, Lord, want to understand the life we have in you. So thank you for the scriptures once again. In your son's name, amen. Okay, we're in the Gospel of St. John again. Um, it's one of those one of those books where you just feel... If anybody writes a sermon for you, it's, the, it's John the Apostle. He, he doesn't just tell you what happens next in the Lord's life. He has a commentary that goes on with it. And you kind of like, we have all sorts of reasons to like the Apostle John. His disciple whom Jesus loved. So he, he and the Christ were buds, closest of Christ's um, friends, friendships. Um, he saw things. John the Revelator had strange visions, was big on love. And it doesn't surprise us when the way he starts with the gospel is that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's so, John is so meaningful. We talked about that last week out of that section with the creation. Um... I was, reading, I was reading through this because I had a particular verse on my mind that was um, standing out, so I was looking at the surrounding passages. And anytime you're going through the Christmas season, uh, there's more Christmassy stories in the other Gospels. You know, the Luke and Matthew get all Christmassy on you. John, um, he gets all theology on you, or, or kind of deep devotion. And when he gets to verse 14 of the first chapter, and the Word became flesh, that's his nativity story. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. That was the, the, the verse that just sort of was nagging at me. Because I think a lot of Christianity, is, as, the, as Aunt Kenny was reading this morning in Timothy, St. Paul didn't have a whole lot of hope about what people were going to be about in the Christian faith. Things were going to go sideways and sideways now. They were rejecting him, his ministry in Asia. All in Asia have deserted me. And I don't know why we expect that any of our works for the kingdom of God and his Christ uh, would be blessed with worldly uh, reward. And they can be, but they don't have to be. But we, one of the things that you that you notice about the church and the history of the church is that 
tend not to be thinking about what the important thing is. We will, we will have a nativity scene, or we'll have a, have a cross, a very, very horrid cross. Now, we're, we're Anabaptists here, so I'm not going to get a committee together to get rid of that cross. But if it just should happen to disappear, I understand. We will not call the police. We can get sidetracked with something just in, that's an emblem of the thing he died on. We can get sidetracked by the difference of our opinion of the emblem. And the other, because I walk in there, those Anglicans, they've got a cross made out of brass on the end of a pole that they stand out somewhere, those Anglicans. Don't they understand this is the way you do it? The old rugged cross? We spend all of our time stacking up religious categories for us to go play in, forgetting, and it's not going to be solved with a card you send out to your friends that Jesus is the reason for the season. If you do, then we will hunt you down. You steal the cross, but don't uh, use bad poetry. But the word became flesh. Not, not, not Jesus was born, that's true. The Word, who was in the beginning and was God, came and dwelt with us, full of his grace and full of his truth. And these guys, the disciples, like John, beheld his glory. And in case you were wondering what, you all have a glory. You all have a standing. You all have an importance. We all would like a little bit more glory. You want to score the touchdown in the, you know, homecoming game. Get a lot of glory out of that. You can live on that glory for the rest of your life. Become a well-paid businessman. You get a lot of glory for that. You can be an honored member of the church. You get a lot of glory for that. The important thing is what kind of glory are we beholding in the Christ? Glory as of the only Son from the Father. John bore witness to him and cried, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. For he was before me. Very cryptic. Easy to figure out for the Christian. He who comes after me ranks before me. As the Christ asked that of the Jews, he says, how can, what, who's David talking about? And he says, when my Lord said to my Lord. They don't understand. If it comes after, you're less than. You're a descendant of. You're an effect of. But he says, no, he who came after me is greater than me. Then he, then he clarifies because he was before me. Now we are, with the Christ, we have got sufficient categories, especially at Christmas time, 
I have a very nice nativity set, just a little, got it at Ernst, if you remember Ernst. Um, little porcelain figures, little baby Jesus. And we're happy, you know my position about Christmas, it is not a Christian holiday, never was, never will be. I'm grateful that they put Christian things in it. Not because it was a pagan holiday, but because Jesus never said for us to celebrate his birthday. Nor did any of the apostles say we should celebrate his birthday. It's not part of our religion. Somebody just said, hey, let's do this. Oh, good idea, let's have a party. And uh, it's a fine that it's a nice idea for a party and, de- and all lovely decorations, and so we decorate our house. And we have a nativity scene, and we have a tree. But not because it's Christian. But we do, we, we, we want to have Jesus sort of standing around, aggressively in churches, and maybe with some presence in our homes so that people would see a Bible or see a nativity set. You know, really because almost everything in our lives ranks before Jesus Christ. We, I don't know how we do it. It's a sleight of hand thing that will speak in the highest possible way. We will have a creed that will declare the truth about Jesus Christ and, and that anything other and less than Christ is higher than Christ. Now this comes with, you know, you know this is obviously true with the world, the secular person just wants to put it off to the side. It's the, the Christians I'm concerned about. I want the Christians to think highly of their God. And so when you go through John's announcement, the statements about the greatness of Christ and the comparison between him and the Christ are are a nice thing to meditate on. From his fullness, verse 16, we have all received grace upon grace. And one of the things I, as I went through that verse, it was... A lot of people wonder about their salvation. And the other people going, well, you you should wonder. Why would you think you're saved? But part of the problem that the doubts come at us is that we don't have a God that already had the fullness. Uh, I think think this is the word pleroma, where the kind of a proto-gnostic notion of the of the all, putting into Christ, he had the fullness. And we have all received because of his fullness. But even if you take the English word, whatever you consider that fullness to be in Christ is what you have received grace upon grace through. From his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. Well, you can't just claim the grace upon grace because the creed told you so. And the creed comments that Jesus is powerful and great enough to do it. If we don't have a knowledge or a uh, measure or a strong consideration that when we behold his glory, it's like the only son of God, that he ranks before, well, John, and consequently you, that his fullness that we hold up, the greatness we hold up, is connected to your experience of grace. He will still forgive you. 
But your acknowledgement or knowledge of it or enjoyment of it or, or connection to it is denied because you didn't begin with him who he really is. He who he really is. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only son who is in the bosom of the father, he has made him known. And this is, that's a, that's a world-ending sentence right there. No one has ever seen God. Probably the big, the big ticket question of existence is the created, knowing the creator who made him. Knowing of him, acknowledging him, meeting him, the moment with the divine. And we have not been able to get at that divine. But the only son who is in the bosom of the father, that is how our knowledge of God has been made known. His glory is as the only son of the father. Now, some of the rest of this passage, verse 19 and following, <clears throat> there, there's a, a, a circumstance that John with the Jews, where they have this question-answer situation, which shows what we do as religious people, what we, what we set ourselves up to be about, and how John and the, uh, the Baptist John, John the Baptist and John the Apostle, are conspiring to say, no, 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 no. As great as you'd like me to be, as great as I might be, as important as what I'm doing is, why don't you look at Christ? I was talking to a friend yesterday uh, who someone had approached about becoming a mentor. And you know what I think of the word to begin with. I think it is so gay. But that aside, say someone really was wanting. And I always look back at my dad's approach to those things. What are you doing? Jesus Christ. Not, he wasn't cursing when he said that. Someone came to my father. Would you be my mentor? Jesus Christ. No, what he meant was Jesus Christ disciples you. Jesus Christ is who I look to. Jesus Christ is my God. We have all these other categories that we can build up and then go live in them, that my visitation with my mentor, I as their mentee, him as my discipler, I as the disciple. Um, you know, there's nothing evil about it. But we've forgotten Jesus Christ. It wasn't that John the Baptist was evil. People were following John the Baptist. But you know the problems they get into when they don't identify correctly and then don't follow according to that correct identification. And this is the testimony of John, speaking of the, the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? That's a natural question. Who are you? Got this kind of strange, aggressively strange guy in the religious community that people are listening to because he's preaching righteousness. He's preaching repentance. And the people are going out to him. It's not that the people are all believing some Jim Jones sort of cult leader. But it's that level of weird. 
John's just weird without the drugs, unless you think grasshoppers have that kind of effect. Who are you? Oh, because the religious people have a... They, they've got the categories worked out, and they you know, drew up a contract with each other, says, yes, we're all going to consider that this is a, a, a nice professional way to carry on, and so they carry on. And somebody who shows up in town who's dressed in a camel hair shirt um, is, uh, needs to be chased down, needs to be found out about. He confessed. He did not deny, but confessed. I, that phrasing is strange. He confessed, he did not deny, he confessed, <coughs> but confessed, I am not the Christ. They were expecting the Christ. <coughs> now the word Christ is just the word Messiah, just the word anointed. And the Jews were expecting, because of all of the Old Testament and the Psalms and in the prophets, had laid some pretty heavy hints on them that there was an anointed one. Now, every king was an anointed one. Every priest was an anointed one. It explicitly says in Isaiah that Cyrus the Persian was the Messiah. It uses that word of him. But he is, you might say, a type. But they're expecting the Christ. There are Jews today who are messianic, who are expecting a messiah because they didn't think the Christians got it right 2,000 years ago. But John steps into it and says, no, okay, I'm confessing, not the Christ. Now this, you've read your scriptures at all, you know that at that time and also any historians uh, relate, Josephus will relate, the various messiahs that popped up. There were various guys who were trying to lead rebellions against the Romans, and they were considering themselves Messiahs, the Christ. John comes into it and says, no, not that. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? For those of you who think that's a really dumb question, because Elijah was hundreds of years earlier, why would they think he was Elijah? Well, because the last verse of our Old Testament, this is not the, the last verse of Malachi, which is the last book of your Old Testament, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. So they were expecting Elijah too. So they had a Messiah coming, which they didn't quite know what that was going to be about. They thought politically mostly. Uh, Elijah, okay, he's going to be about the same time because he's before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he says, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, well, there's a category. What, what do you mean, the prophet? They were expecting a person called the prophet. They called the prophet. Because, let me give you an example. You know how the word antichrist is used one time, sort of in the passage in 1 John. And it says, um, speaks of the, the uh, for there are many antichrists that have gone out into the world. And you know that certain eschatological viewpoints have made that into a role that someone will play called antichrist. 
and usually his name is Damien, right? Or something ominous. They're doing the same thing. They've got passages of scripture that, this is in Deuteronomy, the prophet comes up in Deuteronomy uh, 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brethren. Him you shall heed, just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they have rightly said all that they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not give heed to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. The Jews made the prophet that they were expecting, a particular prophet, an eschatological prophet, and they had a Messiah, an Elijah, and a prophet. And he says, <laughs> spoils it, and he says, no, I'm not the prophet. They said to him then, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He doesn't have a problem being the fulfillment of a prophecy. I have that passage from Isaiah, it's Isaiah 40. A voice cries, it's on the left hand side. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. So there's this expectation of a bunch of categories. John says, oh, no, okay, yeah, I'm not any of those, but uh, let me tell you what I am. And to some degree, I'd like to encourage you to be that as well that your task is to make straight the way of the Lord. Not make straight the way of your um, movement's interest in the Lord, so that you make your way into people's households, so that they would sign up for All Souls Christian Church, and all that All Souls Christian Church can do for them instead of Jesus. We prepare the way of the Lord. We make <clears throat> what's in the way of God and Christ coming into someone's life be straightened out. It's something I think I know that some people meditate on these sorts of things, or their Christ and God and their relationship with him, and that's good. Um, but I want your theology to be Christ-centered. Larry Lucas used to say, Jesus Christ fills your windshield. That's what you're looking at, and so that's what you're talking about. 
Now, you could talk about other things, but you're going to come back to the highest ordinate thing of your faith, which is Jesus Christ to you, and Jesus Christ full of grace upon grace. And the fact that we turn away from it, this Galatians passage right under that Isaiah passage on the left-hand side says, this is about something else, but I thought it was apt. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits whose slaves you want to be once more? You've met the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are you so alive to C.S. Lewis, but not to Jesus Christ? Or Charles Spurgeon? Or John Piper? Or Evan Wilson? Now, I don't inspire that many people. But that's a temptation to people who would like to inspire more people, and I would like to. So you know that those of us who are in the business of inspiring people, there's a real temptation that we actually go after you, the passage again, read by Kenny this morning. They make their way into households capturing weak women, burdened with sin, swayed by every impulse. Well, listen to anybody and never come to a knowledge of the truth. We, we step away from the greatness of our God. We don't have... We have not protected who, the ordinate level of Christ in our life. We have protected what we say about him. That's what the chanting back a creed will do. You know what the words are, you know, only begotten Son of God. Now, when they had been sent from the Pharisees, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. What do you think? We don't quite recognize what's going on. Christ, of John, says in another place, there's no one born of woman greater than John. And John says, I can't even be the Lord's boot black. I can't even be the servant who takes off his shoes in the evening. That's who's coming. And when he says to the Pharisees, you guys got the Septuagint, no, not Septuagint, the, the law, memorized. You guys are Bible scholars. Some of you pretty important. You don't know this person. You don't know me, that's obvious. They keep asking, who are you? But someone who's coming after him, John, who is greater than John because he's before John, though he's coming after him. None of us are worth standing in his presence. And those are the things you just in terms to ask yourself about watching your own conversation. Does Jesus Christ come in at the level of the ordinate value you profess he has? 
we believe in him. We center our church around him. Our church is all souls Christian church. What's the, uh, what's the real? Have you found where you turn the corner in your own pursuit of your own innocence or guilt or dealing with the things in your life, you turn and someone was expressing the gospel to you and you suddenly realized you were in the presence of the divine, the fullness. And the only way the grace upon grace was coming to you is if you bowed to that fullness. The Son of God, beholding His glory, one as of the Son of God. That's what you're having to say to yourself. I've met Jesus Christ, and He is, not only is He like a God, He is a God, and He is the God. And is, having bowed the knee to Him, are your conversations with others who share that faith always sort of swinging back to that? You know how somebody who's watched too many or read the Lord of the Rings too many times, or Star Wars, whatever kind of... You know, we ought to be Christ nerds. Not the kind of Christ nerds that the theologies of the Bible about Jesus are all we ever talk about. But him, yeah, him. You know that person who one time met a famous person? Friend of yours? And nothing else really happened in their life. They went back to their life and their wife wasn't very nice to them and whatever, the things didn't go well. And their conversation, that moment, always seems to manage to come around. You know, I was talking to Eric Clapton at one time. It was a brief two-sentence conversation, but it has grown like a fish story will. You've met the living God. The fullness of him. We beheld his glory. You took his grace because of his fullness. And then we return to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits whose slaves who want to be once more. We want to become followers of certain men who worship that God. We want to become followers of a certain movement that about that God. But that God, you know, he's sort of off. He's sort of ineffable and unspoken uh, we have too much reverence for it. Well, that's the only time I was talking about cursing a little earlier. Now, I don't um, recommend cursing. But it's about the only time you say his name with any kind of unction. Jesus, H. Christ. Because you, <laughs> you want to invoke something, Right? Your co-worker just dropped a valuable thing and it's Jesus H. Christ. Because I have to say something important. I have to blaspheme the holy. I've got to find the holy. What's the holy? What's the holy? Well, Jesus Christ is the holy. But will I ever say Jesus Christ? That's the answer. Remember, I got off the track with that story of the mentor on talking about how much I didn't like the word. Well, we got around to it. Recommend Jesus Christ to them. Jesus Christ. And if you want to, it could be Jesus H. Christ. I don't know what H stands for. Harry? Jesus Harry Christ? I don't know. 
But that's what we're selling. That's what we're representing. That's what we're worshiping. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about it. This is our God. He ought to occupy that ordinate place in your thinking. That not just when you want to disobey does it become important, but when you want to obey. Now, we sometimes get. Well, I don't think it's always a bad thing where I'm going after the lower gods because I don't want to deal with the high gods. That's one problem. Other people want to you know, converse on all the other aspects of our religion and there are other aspects of our religion that are well worth pursuing as long as the ordinate God is on the ordinate throne regarding you. That you never forget he is the Son of God, the Blessed. Um, but we, we can make him too important to mention. You get that approach various ways, you know. That, you know, I'm not. We're not a happy, clappy church. But you know, in a happy, clappy church, a lot of songs are sung that are more uh, engaging. Like people have a, a relationship with Jesus. Or certain parachurch groups will say you want you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the pious are a little bit okay. He's too important for that. They're like the, uh, the disciples when the little children were coming to Christ. Uh, duh, 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 duh. He's too important for that. The Lord has got business. And we know that's wrong. We need to find him at the place where the Holy Son of God sits. We need to have had our lives made straight by those who went before us so that his coming would be recognized so that we would receive him when he arrived. So that when he says in verse 29 here, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. One of the, I think I've mentioned this many times before, but I've I got to mention it every time. My father used to quote this passage about you realize what a different kind of ministry John the Baptist had than Jesus had. One was uh, an ascetic out in the desert, kind of crazy. Preaching and baptism of repentance. And Jesus Christ shows up in a nice suit. Going to all the right parties. Christ, and you say, heaven, you're just inventing. No, Jesus actually tells the Jews this about John. He says, what did they say about John? He came neither eating nor drinking, and you said he had a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said, Behold, a wine-bibber and a glutton. So, but wisdom will be known by all of our children. Christ and John were both the children of wisdom. They did different things. But this is that moment where the ascetic looks at the liberty-filled saint, and says, Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ looks at John and says, No one born of woman is greater than John. That's the kind of relationship we can have for all of our differences, whatever they may be, that we recognize that we're children of wisdom, and that we recognize as Christians, because he's not talking about Christianity here, 
But as Christians, we all serve the same Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ has to be important, clear, defined correctly, not the LDS Jesus. That's just sort of a kind of a UFO Jesus. Have we beheld the Lamb of God? This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. Now, I gave this passage, I had covered quite a bit of John 1 last week. This portion is like this heavy, let's keep looking at what John keeps saying about Jesus Christ. We started with that passage up in verse 15. He who comes after me ranks before me, for he was. And then he gets at the end and says, see, that's the guy. That's the guy I was talking about when I said he comes after me, but he is greater than I am. And when the disciples of John left John, and some of his disciples did not like that, John says, no, he must increase. I must decrease. Because when we see the greatness where it belongs, when we have the ordinate value of Jesus Christ, in myself and in the fellowship of the believers. Anything less than Christ is a hard time jockeying to the front of the line and making itself more. Whether it's a, a conceited pastor or, a, or a, a problem committee or just relationships that have gone sour, we, we, uh, we need to know what has the highest level in our thought. We know it in every other circumstance. Let's, you know, to be honest with it, you know, you know, honest, honey, she means nothing to me. I know I spend all my time with her. But no, I've committed myself to you. I walk the aisle for you. We got, I'll do much the same thing about our salvation with a marriage. I walk the aisle for you. I gave the vows. I prayed the prayer. I spent all my time with my very fine 18-year-old secretary. Well, I was looking at you sideways like, uh, okay, all right. Yeah, no, that's not actually the way it works. That which is most important to you feels in your life, to you and to the round ones around you, that Jesus Christ is the most important thing to you. John admits, verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, On whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And what do we spend all of our time fighting with other Christians about? Which form of water baptism we're about? John's going, hold it, I had the nickname the Baptist. I spent my ministry standing up to my waist in a river. Baptism surrounded me. 
That's how it was the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance. I know baptism. But when I saw him, he walked into my life. He was revealed to Israel as the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. That is the Christian baptism. So shut the heck up. Quit fighting over things that are not your God's. You can have an opinion. I have a different opinion than you about baptism. I betcha. But if Christ is central to us, we have all been baptized by him into the Holy Spirit, which has made us one, made us members, made us together. If Christ is foremost, all sorts of things get fixed. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. You know how I remember that? I, I forget what the, was it? King of Kings? Is that what the name of the movie, Cecil B. DeMille? Uh, back in the day, uh, Charlton Heston movies where there's, there's, that, there's the, the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross. I think it was John Wayne played it, right? Anybody care? Oh. John Wayne said, surely this was the Son of God. That, that passage stands out to me. One, because it's a Gentile. It's a Roman soldier. Just doing his job, crucifying another Jew. Hey, you do it all the time. This one, this one was the Son of God. We killed the Son of God. Others were sent to arrest him at another point, and they came back without him. And they, Why don't you have the guy? You don't seem to understand the things he said. You don't seem to understand. We have beheld his glory. This, this book, talk, I was talking to Alex uh, a couple days ago about the greatest book ever written. We had to remove the Bible from the list because it's too obviously, even if it, is n it was not an inch of it true, even, still the greatest work ever written. Just because. Most effect, most power. But as true, we have beheld this glory of the only Son of God. Stops us in our tracks. Remember it when you say your prayers. Remember it when you talk to your fellow Christians. Recently there's been some people I have known who seem to have walked away from the faith. I look back and various people have said, yeah, you could have predicted that. I mean, you wouldn't have predicted it. You would never say that about somebody else's faith, but walking away from the faith makes perfectly good sense. And you remember the conversations. And then they were never about Jesus. I'm not talking about a Southern Baptist Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Primarily, your sin. When it gets to the end of the passage, the passage verses I cut out there, um, verse 35, it's on the left-hand side of John 1. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What, what do you seek? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. That's the sort of thing we've encountered, and we have all sorts of lazy reasons to be about every other category of religion we can bring up. And we make gods out of them, and we serve them with the ordinate attention, inordinate attention, that is only reserved for the Christ. Have you found the Messiah as the fullness of his grace, deity, being, uh, become a topic that you can't get away from, like meeting someone famous. It's like you met somebody famous. You don't get his autograph, but you met him. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Your patience with us, having introduced infinite and transcendent things to us in your Son, making us available, able to meet the prophet, hear from him what you have said, without being destroyed. Lord, your grace is kind. We'd ask that we would honor it with recognition. That our lives would be a constant um, reference to the work of your Son. And in his name, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.